0: Thank you, as always, for listening to Caleb vs. Self. Today, I get to speak with Kirk from the Tomorrow i Podcast, part of the Schemes Come True Podcast Network, uh, author, um, avid doodler, uh, and, and prolific podcaster is what I'll say for sure. Uh, we talk about committing to a habit for your creative pursuits, finding ways to grow within that space, the nuance of separating the art from the artist, as well as a whole bunch of other stuff it was a super awesome conversation i had a lot of fun especially talking about like the creative pursuit and how to get there and the grind to find your muse uh you can check out kirk at the tomorrow owl wherever you get your podcasts and follow them on instagram uh they also have a patreon for the schemes come true podcast network i highly suggest checking it out uh, a really cool lineup of different types of creative people who are just trying to pursue that their passion their journey so uh, again i'd highly highly recommend checking it out and i had a Talking with Kirk, and I hope at this point you guys enjoy. All right. Sometimes I'm not sure when it starts recording. But I think it is cool. Uh, Kirk, thanks for hopping on, man. Uh, I appreciate the time. Um, author, I guess. Podcaster. Uh, Semi doodler. Is that an appropriate? Uh...
1: Yeah, that would be it's appropriate for sure that's the best description of that i've ever heard i think (laughs) honestly
0: (laughs) i stole that from you to be fair i think it was episode one you were like yeah i do art i guess doodling is probably more appropriate
1: (laughs) yeah semi-doodler i like that
0: well i appreciate you hopping on um i found you obviously through magnus um Mm -hmm. shout out to, to magnus there but I listened to a little bit of, of tomorrow I'll podcast and the premise of the podcast essentially is you and Corey, correct? Yep. Are looking to go from working a regular job, I guess, and being mm-hmm. a creative professional full time is kind of the goal of it.
1: Right. So how's that going? Uh, It's It's going. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely going. Um, I, uh, it's tough, man. Like, trying to balance all of those things has been a uh it's been really hard especially as someone who has traditionally been kind of unmotivated it's weird being like I want to be a writer it's Mm -hmm. it's something I've wanted to do since I was a little kid even like back when I thought I was going to be the next Bill Watterson and then you know I looked at my art and I was like nope you're not going to be Bill Watterson so maybe you can write books (laughs) um but it's always like warring with, you know, I have all these ideas in my head, but then the motivation to put them down on paper and like making a move and trying to, to stay on top of regular life has been, been hard, but yeah, it's so much fun. Like Corey and I were just talking about this last night. I mean, he was in the hospital recently and we were talking and like, we kind of do the check in with each other every so often. Like, are you still having fun doing this? And he's like, hell yeah, man. Like it's, it's work no matter what it is, it's work, but it's Mm -hmm. still, it's so much fun. And, uh, I just recently sat down with a friend of mine who is working on like getting a coaching certification. She's like, I need you to, to, to tell me something to coach you on. And at first I was like, I need you to coach me on how to fold a fitted sheet. Like, I don't know how to do that. Can you just talk me through that process? And she's like, do you you think maybe you could ask me something that would be more impactful in your life than learning how to (laughs) fold a fucking fitted sheet? (laughs) Yeah, that might be a good idea. So I was thinking about the show and like my writing and stuff like that because I've kind of been a creative fallow period, I guess, recently. Mm -hmm. And she goes, well, when do you normally write? Like, what's your schedule look like? And I said, well, I, you know, I schedule out my day, but I teach during the day and i try to block off an hour at the end, you know, in the evening to write. And she goes, well, when do you feel most productive? Like, when do you feel most energized and creative? I'm like, well, first thing in the morning. And she's like, So what do you do first thing in the morning? Well, normally I go into school and I plan the day. She goes, just why not write during that time instead? Holy shit, you're right. So she helped me set up a plan and uh, I've done more writing in the last two weeks than I had done in like the last two months. So sometimes, you know, it's a matter of just tweaking what you got going and having that outside perspective to help with that. And how,
0: how helpful is it there? to have somebody like Corey to still check in and say, Hey, are you still having fun? Are you still like
1: motivated to do this? It's really helpful. Like that's one of the things that has come out of doing the podcast that, um, having that accountability piece, whether it's Corey or it's like, you know, uh, talking to Magnus every so often, and he's like, Hey, how's the writing going? And I'm like, shit, I haven't done any writing in a while. What am I supposed to tell him? Like n- now having that kind of support network has been so helpful to getting more stuff out there like i uh, participated in uh, nyc midnight's short story challenge this year Mm -hmm. and um, it's really cool they're they're uh they've been around for i think it's 15 years at this point but the first round they give you a setting a character and some kind of like genre And you have a week to write a story of 2,500 words. And then the next round, they give you three days to write, you know, if you pass through, they give you three days to write a story of 2,000 words. And then they, you know, winnow it down until it's like two people and they have 24 hours to kick out a thousand word story or whatever. And um, my cousin was the one who told me about it and uh, he helped like edit and he, I bounced the story off of him a couple of times over the course of the week. And so just having people to talk about those creative things with has been super helpful. I mean, I got to give a lot of credit to my friend Chuck. who actually I think you should talk to too. If, if you want to, I would have to fill you in on him. He doesn't really sure. have a huge social media presence, Sure. but he and I painted houses together and he has a wild life story that he's been telling me in bits and pieces over the years. And at one point I was like, dude, we should, you should just write this down, like write a book. And in his process of like working through that, it kind of reinvigorated my creative fire. And that's part of where like Tomorrow I'll came from. Like the idea that there are so many people out there who want to do creative things, but they don't know the path. And I mean, it's not like Corey and I are experts by any means, but sure, it's been fun kind of fumbling along that path and the the best part of it has been the conversations that we've had with people because you learn so much and i mean i'm sure you figured this out you learn so much from people that you would never have talked to by sitting down and asking them about like what they're passionate about and i think moving forward uh one of the goals of the network i think is exactly that it's it's to use the network to bring people together to like connect different creative people with each other with uh, you know the sharing knowledge basically, I know uh, one of our guests is a, is a musician named Matt Oldegas, and one of the things that he said when we interviewed him that it just really resonated with me was when you think competition, instead think collaboration. Hmm. and it's amazing what switching your mindset on that can do. I remember when we first started our storytelling show, I had like come up with a name for it and like put all this stuff together. And I was putting our, our link tree together for that show. And I was just, you know, doing some basic Google searching to see like what popped up where. And there was another uh, storytelling show that somebody had released on iTunes or whatever with a name that was almost identical And then I went and looked, and I'm like, the name is almost identical. The description of the podcast is almost identical. I got super pissed. Like Corey and I were living together at that time. It's like, Corey, you got to get in here. You got to see this. This is ridiculous. Like, so angry. I like went and double checked. It's like our show came out, you know, three weeks before this. Like clearly, you know, I mean. Definitely parallel thinking is a thing, but I was, I was just so angry. And then I stopped and I thought about it and I was like, okay, what can I do? Like I can either go and try to put this person on blast or I can reach out to them. And I was like, wait a minute. No, no, no. Let me listen to what they do. And uh, their show is called uh, what the hell is it? I think it's stories from the in-between or stories from in-between. I'll have to pull up the link to their podcast, but I, I reached out to them. I said, Hey, as I was, you know, Googling, stuff about our show results for your show came up and it looks like we do similar things. Uh, if you don't mind, like I've listened to your stuff, I'm enjoying it. Give our stuff a listen. And if you like it, you know, could you promote us? We're going to, I'm planning on talking up your show on our stuff. Um, we don't have a huge following, but it could be helpful to you just to get some extra ears on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And they were out and they were very positive about it. So I don't know. It was one of those times where it definitely reinforced to me that collaboration, you know, is way better of a choice than competition. Sometimes it's just having this, the presence of mind to remember that. And I think had that not gone as positively as it did, I might not have that same perspective. It might not have, might not be as easy now to kind of think that way, but, I'm really glad we did it. Like, I'm glad that I took that second to cool off and think about what would be more beneficial rather than just kind of giving into the feeling of being pissed. Yeah. So.
0: So when it comes to collaboration and when it comes to creative types, there seems to be, uh, an overlap for creatives to tend to want to collaborate as well, because, well, actually, I don't know why. Um, from your perspective, what do you think it is about specifically collaboration that allows people who do creative activities where I don't know it feels like it lends naturally to itself to be a bit more collaborative mm-hmm. uh, Is there something there that I'm missing maybe like what is it that allows those type of people you for example and corey to to collaborate to do things like that?
1: I think it's a it's like it creates this feedback loop is what happens because you know how you, like when you're talking to somebody and they're excited about an idea, it's hard. If it's, you know, something you're interested in, it's also hard not to be excited about that idea. So I think that's what it is. I think like Corey would would talk to me about a new project that he's working on and my brain, like as he's describing something, like my brain is like, oh, that's really cool. This reminds me of this thing, or this reminds me of this thing that I'm working on. Or have you ever considered looking at it in this way? Like, uh. He has it's infectious, a, right? yeah, exactly. And I think it's basically, it turns into this very positive feedback loop where you're excited about your idea. They're excited about their idea. You can find some crossover there, but there's like some magic in talking about the projects that you're working on because people naturally kind of want to give feedback on things or mm-hmm. they want to make connections to the things that you're talking about. And you find some really cool ideas out of the connections that people make. And I think it just kind of, it's like, oh, I never thought about that. This is like, I can take the story in this direction. So uh, the story I wrote for that short story contest uh, is called Soup of the Day. And it's actually based on one of those little postcards. I don't know if I actually posted that the story, that one on Instagram. But the premise originally was a guy wakes up one day and he finds that his mind he has a like one-way telepathic connection to one person. But I don't think you posted is... that one. Okay. Well, <laughs> the problem is the person he's telepathically connected to. The only thing he thinks about is soup. That's it, all day long, soup. And it starts to very quickly drive you know the recipient of all of these soup images insane. And so when I got my prompt for the short story contest. It was drama, podiatrist, and vacation. And so I was like, oh, this is easy. Soup and feet. Those are the only two things he thinks about. Or the only thing he thinks about is soup because he's podiatry all day and it's miserable. And so I like kind of threw a draft together. And then I was talking to my cousin about it. And he goes, here's what you do. He's like, don't just do soup. It's like juxtapose soup and feet together because that's disgusting. (laughs) like yeah you're right it is disgusting and that would definitely you know give uh if it would definitely makes sense that the person would go crazy very quickly when you're seeing shrimp bisque in your head and then somebody's corns like oh dude <laughs> yeah i mean so you know i, I wrote a bounce around versions and stuff like that and then in talking with with my cousin it kind of he He writes as well. And so we kind of just kept going, like trying to follow this crazy train of thought to its illogical end. But what would be the most interesting end, basically? And we got into some very like weird black mirror territory thinking about, okay, maybe it's not a psychic connection. Maybe it's very narrow band advertising. And what the the guy with the psychic connection, what he actually is doing is they're testing advertising and he hates his job. So now he's just trying to drive people nuts. So the story, unfortunately, like we, we could not go that far in 2,500 words, but right. I'm going to uh, do a second draft of it that expands kind of the world that I was able to tell in 2,500 words and it's it's just fun to like little you know it's fun to bounce those ideas off of people one of the my favorite parts of the story actually came out of a, another a conversation with my cousin. we were talking about how like the the big payoff in the contest version was the guy tracks down the podiatrist and he's going to basically interrogate him to find out like why me what the hell like what's going on right and he's like here he's like you know, like maybe he could waterboard him. Like, okay. And he's like, no, wait a minute. What if he puts a sock on his face and waterboards him with soup? I'm like, Okay, <laughs> you can do that. And Like what kind of soup? And then my cousin's like, no, no, no. Here's what you do. You don't do soup. You do jambalaya, which is kind of like soup, but not really soup. And he's like, you get to have your curb, your enthusiasm moment where the podiatrist at the last minute is like, well, Jambalaya technically isn't soup, you know, and it just pushes the dude over the edge to murder. So, I mean, I never would have, we never would have gotten to that place on my, like on my own. It was coming through collaboration with my cousin, shout out to Peter, uh, that led to that wild and very fun to write story. And like, it's, I'm definitely going to flesh out the world of that now that uh, that round of the contest is over. So.
0: Cool. Well, I I mean, yeah. my first reaction to that is is what if that happens? That narrow band advertising because you thought like, could you imagine if you thought something random and that's it? You've got advertising for that random thought forever. Mm-hmm. That would yeah. be, yeah. That that I feel like that world in and of itself. There's so much there. I'm sure for mm-hmm. you to like expand upon. But that's well, really- I, would, I
1: would go insane very quickly. I would go insane. I think with some of the stuff that crosses my mind. If I got ads immediately. I mean, it's always, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I find it interesting to see how quickly my Google searches end up being my Instagram ads. <laughs> right. And then it's like, what the hell was I searching? What did I like? What did I look at that they think I want these products? Right. <laughs>
0: I oh, If man. if they had access to your random thoughts and did advertising based on that. Oh, geez. Could you imagine? Yeah,
1: I'd lose my mind. I think I would definitely lose my mind so, so quickly. Like, it would just be debilitating because, I mean, even I would get into a car accident because you'd get a random ad in your brain as you're driving and you're like, why the hell would it, what it, and then, you know, you just slam into the back of somebody on the highway.
0: You would just have a world of people who would constantly become unreasonably angry because they just got an ad for something that they hate. Based mm-hmm. on a random thought they had five weeks ago or something, you know what I oh, mean? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, let me go back to the coach there because a lot of, of sometimes, or I shouldn't say a lot, but sometimes what you guys talk about on your podcast is like chasing the muse and how to keep mm-hmm. getting that inspiration. Um, what is it or how is it that you try to conjure the muse, if you will, for yourself in your writings?
1: I think it's, uh, I mean a great book for this, honestly. And, uh, I finally convinced Corey to read it is the war of art by Stephen Pressfield. Um, yep, yep. And he talks a lot about, I mean, for anybody that's going to do anything in life, that's challenging. I mean, you can apply kind of the, the advice in that book to basically anything, whether it's weight loss, it's writing, it's painting, whatever. Um, one of the biggest things is having a consistent time every day. And that's like, in talking with my friend who's the coach, like setting that 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. time aside, and that's the time that I write pretty much every like Monday through Friday, that's the time that I write. And Pressfield talks about if you're going to do it, you need to treat it like a job. So you show up every day at this time, you work for your, you know, specified period of time, and then, you know, you've done your work for the day. It could be garbage. He's like, but you've still shown up and done your work. And that's been so over the, it's one of those things. Like, I, I don't know about you. This is, this is how I get sometimes where like, I read something like the war of art and I'm super energized. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And then over time, it kind of starts to fade a little bit. Like, Oh, I missed a couple of days here and I'll get back to it, whatever. And then it goes away. And then I have to like reread the book or uh, find another source of like inspiration like that, or sit down and do the coaching session to get back on track. So I think that accountability piece, like my friend has been checking in with me doing the podcast has also kind of helped keep me accountable. I think accountability and then scheduling out that time every day to to treat it like a job, essentially, I think has been the best way to kind of chase the muse because his thing in that book is that the muse recognizes when you're doing work. And when you put in the work, that's when the muse turns up. So whether you believe in it in, in like his sense where it's, you know, like you're tuning in a radio to the right frequency and you only get there by putting the time and the effort in, which I love that image, or you think more in the kind of Malcolm Gladwell sense where you've put the 10,000 hours in and that's how you've become a master of your craft. Um, that's, you know, it's consistency. It's doing, it's just doing the work. Like I know, um, it's stupid, but Nike nailed it on nailed it on the head when they said, you know, just do it. I mean, yeah, that, that's what it boils <laughs> down to. You you got to show up, and again, even if it's trash, you got to show up. But that's uh, how
0: that's how my dad. Is. So right, I don't know if you can see right here. This painting right behind mm-hmm. me is my father's work, and he's been oh, shit. An that's awesome. for, jeez, since before I was born. So it's been thirty years plus. And that Mm -hmm. was his, his always thing was just, just keep going, just do it. Just keep going. Like, don't stop Mm -hmm. just because you think it's bad. Do it again. You know, Mm -hmm. keep pushing that envelope as much as possible. And I wonder how much of the muse, if you will, uh, sprinkles in those little breadcrumbs. The more you do that, the more you make that habit, the more you commit to that exercise that, Oh, here's Mm -hmm. a, here's a nugget right here. Here's a, here's a crumble. Here's a, and then all of a sudden you've got your soup feet story or your, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it is that you're chasing, (laughs) you know?
1: Yeah. And it's, I think it's, it's fun to like, I don't know. I I am a odd mix of (laughs) neuroscience and for lack of a better term, the the woo woo stuff where you show up, the (laughs) the muse shows up, but like from a neurological standpoint, I think it makes sense because the more you activate a pathway in your brain, the stronger, like that pathway becomes. And then the more like connections it makes. So definitely like building that habit is that kind of brain science part. But I, I don't know, like when you're in that flow state, when you, when the writing is, is going, it really doesn't feel like it's coming from my brain. It feels like, you know, someone's telling me a story and I'm just writing it down. And that's like, that's such a cool feeling. And I mean, I think that's, you know, it's, you, you chase it, but that's when the best you get your best work when you if you're sitting there and you've been hammering on, you know, a sentence or a paragraph or like, fuck, this is you know, I can't get the wording on this right. And all of a sudden it's just kind of coming out of you. It's uh it's yeah. pretty damn cool.
0: Yeah. I, I feel like that next step, right? you you're building that habit and you you're in that zone, right? And the next step to that muse, if you will, is Something that I, I picture with uh, Muhammad Ali, one of the things he used to say, or it, it might have been Mike Tyson, I can't remember, one of them would say, I don't count push-ups until it starts to hurt. And that's, mm-hmm. When, mm-hmm. that's when you're getting that that next level of, of whatever it is that you're looking for. So like, yeah, you commit, you do your hour, but your hour sometimes runs over because you're, you're hitting a pace. You're, all of a sudden, yeah. it's, it's coming and you're going to yeah. push well past that hour because you're in that zone finally. Mm-hmm. Does it work somewhat somewhat like that for you?
1: Sort of. There are some days where I'm definitely like get to the end of the hour and I'm like, thank God it's the end of the hour. And there are other days where um, it's definitely you just want to keep going. I tried and I found some success with, I don't know why they call it this, but it's a, the Pomodoro technique where you set a timer for 25 minutes and you do one task for 25 minutes. And then you have five minutes, you take five minutes off, you know, so you have your half hour and then you go back to that task or a new task for another 25 minutes and you just keep doing your, your work and your breaks in these chunks. And I found a lot of success in that. There are definitely times where I like look down at my timer and I'm like, oh God, I'm only eight minutes in. I have, you know, (laughs) this much time left until I get my break. But a lot of the time, like I, the timer goes off. I'm like, holy shit, it's been 25 minutes. there's a comedian named Ari Shafir, who is an absolute lunatic, but there was something that he, he said that really stuck with me a couple of years ago where no matter what he's doing, he writes every day, but he forces himself to write for 10 minutes. Like 10 minutes is not that long. And he goes, if you suffer through your 10 minutes, at least you did 10 minutes, but 90% of the time you're going to find that once you hit that 10 minute mark, you want to keep going anyway. So that's what it is. It's like, getting in there, doing the work and starting to you get to that point where you're tired or it hurts. And you're like, this is when the actual work happens. This is when the growth happens. So that's been helpful to me, too. Like, you know, it's 10 minutes. I can do that.
0: Right. Well, you say that, but then eight minutes in, you're like, man.
1: Yep. <laughs> then it's only two more minutes. Pushing
0: through that boundary. It's just pushing through that little obstacle, mm-hmm. if you will, whether it's that mental writer's block or whether it's, like you said, restructuring a sentence where at some point you want to throw you know, your pen at the wall because you can't oh, figure yeah. out how to structure it properly or find yeah. the right one words of the, to
1: use. One of the, the best things I've done for myself in terms of writing and perfectionism and stuff like that has been to when I realize that's what I'm doing or I'm like, I hit a sentence and I just put in parentheses after it, this wording sucks. Come back and fix it later. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I can have that moment of frustration And then it's like, but I know I'm going to come back. And it definitely has helped me push through those moments of frustration. Like, Acknowledge it, move through it, and then move on because you have more work to do.
0: Well, that's part of the problem with being a perfectionist, isn't it? Like, You want to get Mm -hmm. that structure perfect before you move on to the next sentence. But if you do that, you spend your, in this case, your 25 minutes trying to perfect one sentence, you've kind of, or you can lose that muse or that creative inspiration. So as someone who does that, I know writing is like, I feel like of the two or three times I've tried it, 80% of it is going back and rereading and redoing it all over again. How do you, as someone who wants it to be perfect, go through that type of a process where you rewrite or you re-edit?
1: I think it's a matter of uh, getting to the point where, what, what the hell, what's the expression? I think it's don't let perfectionism stand in the way of good enough. Because no matter what, And I mean, a lot of that or like being okay with that honestly has come out of listening to comedians talk about their process. Like I am a huge podcast nerd. And the thing that I hear over and over from any number of the comedians who talk about what they do is that, you know, you get your, your bit to like 80% and then you get it out there and you may down the line, like you put it on a special, you put it on a CD, whatever. And you find a month, two months after you've released the material, like, shit, I have a better ending for that. I have a better tag for that, whatever. And I'm like, you just got to let it go. Like all that, that's, all that's saying to you basically is that you have good ideas. Now take that and apply it to new things. Hmm. And so, I don't know. I mean, people give Stephen King a lot of shit about endings, but endings are so hard to get right. And you could spend your entire life trying to craft the perfect ending. I mean, not to give let him off the hook or other writers off the hook for garbage endings when they have them, but like I can understand that like you're ready to release something, like you just need to let it go. Sometimes I think Magnus had said something to this effect to Corey and I, like in order to release more work, you have to release work. Mm-hmm. So you can't be. We don't have the luxury of being Leonard Cohen and hammering away on Hallelujah for twenty years, like you know recording. God knows how many versions of that song and still not getting it right or in his opinion, getting it right before he died. Like we, we just, you know, we can't do that. We're not super famous musicians. So.
0: Well, part of it too is, is when you release whatever it is that you're working on, whether it's, you know, writing or painting, or in this case, conversations, podcasting, right. Without Mm -hmm. releasing it and hearing the criticism as well, how can you recognize that growth? How can you find, Oh Oh, You know, in your example, when you say, you know, a comedian goes back and says, oh, I would have had a better one for that. To me, that's a signal of growth. You've identified yeah. something to get better at. And now you can go and get better at
1: mm-hmm. it. That's, yeah, that's always been my thing with like, when I ask people to read my stuff, like, please don't tell me that it's good. Like, that doesn't help me at all. Like, tell me if it sucks, but I need you to tell me why. Like, tell me, the, like, give me something that you liked. But more importantly, tell me something that you disliked or you were confused about because those are the places where I need to do work. Yeah. And that's been really helpful um, for anybody that also is trying to get into doing like creative projects or whatever. There's a really great podcast called Start With This that the creators of Welcome to Nightville have put on where they basically go through their creative process and they give it to you step by step. And they give you a little like, Every week that they release it, there is an assignment of something to consume and then an assignment of something to create. Hmm. And that's been, I'll be honest, I've specifically been avoiding listening to it because it's like, I know this will keep me accountable. (laughs) 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 It will add more stuff to my plate. So I've kind of avoided listening to it regularly, but they give such great advice. I just need to bite the bullet and do it. Because the stuff that they're asking you to do doesn't take that long. It's just one of those, what uh, like Stephen Pressfield calls it resistance. It's basically his his theory is that your ego doesn't want you to change. Your ego is happy with you the way you are because it basically runs your life. And when you try to change, when you try to do something positive in your life or something creative, your ego is like, "What the hell, man? Like I don't want to change. I don't want to do this." So it comes up with any number of distractions or you know even if it's productive procrastination it throws all of these obstacles in your way to keep you from changing and so the whole first section of the war of art is identifying and recognizing resistance so he's basically saying like here's all the sources here's all the stuff that's going to get in your way and you'll be surprised at how creative your ego becomes to stop itself from changing and then like the next section is basically do the work. Like that's where he says, schedule a time, treat it like a job. And eventually you'll kind of conquer your ego and it'll, it was like when you've conquered your ego or when you can kind of control that, that's when the muse shows up. So I really like yeah. again, the structure of that book. Like the first one is, you know, identifying the problems and recognizing the problems. Here's how you deal with them. Here are the rewards. So check it out uh, again and then start with this. I need to, I need to start listening to it again because it's going
0: to help. <laughs> right, right. Well, the one thing that I really like on your Instagram is the postcard stories. And I imagine, and I'm guessing, the idea there is to try to create a story in as little space as possible. Mm-hmm. And I really like the invisible dude one where he's like testing the waters. I'm like, oh, I was worried about my torso because my, my heart might stop, but it worked <laughs> out. And hopefully tomorrow I'll just disappear altogether. Yeah. But do you, do you start creating these short stories on postcards? And then as time goes on, do you just like, kind of like with the soup thing, do you extrapolate like a potentially a bigger world or a bigger story with the ones that you really like?
1: For some of them. Yes. So some okay. of them are like, hold on uh, just a second. Sorry. Sure. Didn't realize my computer wasn't plugged in.
0: <laughs> no worries. No worries, man.
1: Um, some of them start as like the postcard story is the germ of an idea that becomes a bigger story. And others are actually where I have a bigger narrative planned. And I like, I want to come up with a succinct, almost like it's an elevator pitch version of the story. So the um, soup of the day story came out of like a postcard originally. I didn't, have any idea of like where it was going to go really. And I'm trying to think of there's one that I sent and I'm not sure if it's on there either. I got to go back and look what's on the Instagram now. There's one that I sent out to a friend of mine who actually gave me a whole ration of shit about um, saying donuts delight were the best donuts in Rochester because <laughs> he's just like, you got to have Ridge donuts, man. What's wrong with you? Uh, about this, Necromancy weird character that go- comes kind of crawling along the roads, and it's just it's like the the postcard the is like a with all the hands. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So that's it's a warning, you know. It's like a bedtime story kind of thing. Yep. And I also I got in trouble for sending that to him because the postcards don't have a return address on them, and that showed up at his house, and his fiance read it before, <laughs> and she's like. She, I guess she texts him at work or call him at work. It's like, somebody's threatening you. I don't know what's going on. Like, <laughs> I'm like, oh no. But, That's uh, funny though. <laughs> yeah. But that little snippet came out of something I want to turn into a much larger story. Like I the image of that character, I want to perpetuate in other things that I've written. And there's a whole backstory there that goes with that that guy with all of his hands. So it just kind of depends on what uh, what sparks my brain. And part of it too, some of those have come out of going back through old journals where I've scribbled down ideas. I'm like, what the hell? There's no context for this. I don't know what this line means. So like something that could have turned into like that idea. Like the original idea that I wrote down probably has nothing to do with what it ended up becoming because I didn't right. flesh it out enough. I'm like, this sentence sounds cool. I must write it down right now. So
0: did know. the Tomb City come out of a postcard situation or is that more of a committed effort to write that
1: full thing So that that story came out of uh it was not a postcard story originally. I wrote that the original version of that, I don't know, 5 years ago, maybe more at this point. It came out of the idea of, um, well, we'll be, on, I'll be honest. Sure. I may or may not have consumed some fungus mm. and had some fungal ideas. Uh, but it basically, I had the, I was fixated on this image of thinking about love in terms of a graveyard or like your, the, you know, the idea of the heart in terms of a graveyard, And how it's okay to have more than one body buried in the graveyard, essentially. Like thinking about, you know, the capacity for love is much greater than for just one person. So if you, just because you love somebody, doesn't mean you can't love someone else. And for whatever reason in my brain, it was like, yeah, it's like having multiple bodies buried somewhere. Which saying that out loud sounds really creepy. (laughs) But eventually that turned into this idea that of the tomb city of having these multiple tombs, although it doesn't, you know, the tombs are for one person and that it came from that idea of like, you know, thinking of the love in the graveyard of your heart. So that's, that's where that idea started. And I like wrote a couple of different versions of it. And even the recorded version is different from the one that's in that little zine that I made, because as Corey was reading it out loud, I was like, wow, that wording sounds so clunky right and uh it definitely like the version he recorded is a much more streamlined version i can definitely tell going back and rereading it. it's like i was reading a lot of stephen king and a lot of lovecraft this time because there's so much it's so wordy it was so freaking gotcha. wordy. it's <laughs> so, funny god i'm no, sorry go ahead go ahead it's funny like some of those stories, especially some of the early things that I wrote, like I can definitely identify who I was reading or who I was listening to at that time because it seeps into seeps into my writing. So I try to I still read a lot. Um, one of the best pieces of advice that anybody who wants to write can do is to read. I mean, that's it that comes straight out of from Stephen King. He's like, if you want to be a good writer, you have to read a lot. And if you want to be a good reader, you have to write a lot. So. Who are you I, reading? I do that, but who, I try to distance myself, or I try not to read. You know, I have like a stack of books, but they're all—it's not the same author all in a row because that's how like it ends up in your writing.
0: Who are you reading today, and, and who are the the authors that you're like? These are the ones that you like the best. I—I um, I mean, you said Stephen King, I think twice now, so I imagine yes. he's
1: somewhere on the list, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, Stephen King definitely. As a kid, you know, in my teens or whatever, I just devoured his books. And I still, there's a story that I wrote that I don't think exists anywhere right now, at least, that I distinctly remember. I was like cleaning my room or something. And the story started to like pop into my head wholesale. And it was like somebody was telling it to me. And I was like, this, for whatever reason, I see, it feels like Stephen King is telling me a story. and like, and if Stephen King is telling me a story, I better fucking write it down. So... <laughs> Right. I ended up, I, yeah, I wrote it and I need to go back and revisit it. It's basically just a, a, a story about writer's block where a guy writes a story, doesn't finish it, throws it in the trash. And in the middle of the night, the main character starts talking to him, being like, why the hell did you throw me away? Like, is this what you feel about? Like, why would you create me only not to finish me? mm so, I need to come back and revisit that for sure. There's I think there's some fertile ground there for a lot of different things, but uh, yeah, Stephen you said King's HB up
0: there. Lovecraft as well.
1: Lovecraft for sure. I love I mean, I am a big fan of horror in general. Um like a good, especially short story, good short horror story is one of my favorite things to read. Um Lovecraft, of course, has a very complicated uh I don't know what the right word. Refers. I mean, he was a super racist, and it comes out in his writing. But the ideas, like the cosmic horror piece, is great. The rest of his stuff, not so much. But um, just the idea of that, of thinking of these things that are so alien to us that we can't comprehend them, always, always is something that I like to to play with. But the the people that really that I've read a lot recently that kind of have shaped my writing, I would say David Mitchell. He wrote Cloud Atlas. Um, He's got a lot of other great books like The Bone Clocks and um, Slade House is one of my favorites. Uh, Haruki Murakami, who is a Japanese artist or Japanese writer, who the first time I read one of his books, I felt like I got done. And it was like that feeling when you wake up from a fever dream where you're just like, I don't understand how I ended up here. Right. And I was just, I, I I was enthralled. I've read, I think, almost everything that he's written. And it's one of the cool things, like, as you read through an artist's body of work, you start to realize, like, you see their tricks. And you also realize, like, Mitchell, especially Mitchell and Murakami. There's another guy named Steven Milhauser, who is just like the king of short stories. Um, I think he wrote, have you ever seen the illusionist? That movie was, okay. So he wrote the short story that became the illusionist. Um, He's just a master of the short story. Like his stuff is ridiculous, but in reading through a bunch of like a body of work from somebody, people that I, when I first read their stuff, like Mitchell and Merkham, like I'll never be this good. I should just quit now. Like I will never write a sentence this good. Why am I even bothering? And then you go back and read early stuff and you're like, well, this is still better than anything I've ever written, but it's not as good as the stuff that came later. Yeah. Like, so, you know, it's, uh, it's inspiring because it's like, shit, they weren't always as good as the first book that I read by them. So I can get there. Like it's going to take a lot of work, but I can get there. So those those three guys, Mitchell Murakami, Millhauser are huge. Uh, Recently, I've really gotten into Ted Chang. He wrote uh, he wrote the story of your life, which is basically the movie Arrival. Okay. And he like that guy writes a sentence like it's a he's making a samurai sword. You know, Stephen King, he kind of, he'll sort of bludgeon you with description. I mean, again, love Stephen King. I will read so much Stephen King. And it gets the point across. But like what Stephen King does in a paragraph, Ted Chang does in a sentence. It's insane reading how like clean his writing is. And he's very in the kind of speculative fiction, heavily grounded in science world. So all of his stories, they have an element of, like, fantasy and surrealism to them, but they all come from a place of possibility. One of my favorite, favorite things that he wrote is called The Merchant and the Alchemist Gate. And, well, I mean, I love the story. LeVar Burton reads it on his podcast, LeVar Burton Reads, and it, I've listened to it, like, four times. It's a hour and a half long, and it's just... It's a story about time travel that's told like it's from... Um, the Arabian nights, basically. It's hmm. incredible. And just the, I, like the nesting of the different things. And then the science that actually makes sense behind it. of how you can influence your own time loop. It, it's just, it's wild. Absolutely wild. So for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I've got a, I got a big old stack. Um, I read over the summer, Chuck Palinuk released a book called consider this which is just a a manual. Really, it's a manual for writers. And it is filled with so much awesome practical advice. Like, if you want to get into writing, get that book. It's so good. And plus, it's full of ridiculous, like, Chuck Palahniuk book tour stories where he talks about getting in trouble with the guy that wrote 127 Hours because at a certain point, uh, Palahniuk was tired of signing people's body parts for them to go get tattooed. So he just bought a bunch of fake limbs from China and then signed all of those. And he would send them ahead of him on his book tour. And one year he just happened to be following Aaron Ralston or whatever the guy's name is on the book tour. And his limbs showed up first. And the Borders employees or whatever just assumed they belonged to Ralston. And then so like they're like, what do you want us to do with these? And of course, you know, it's an arm and it says Chuck Palahniuk on it. And he's like, yeah, that guy right. thinks I'm an asshole. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I definitely could see how that would, would come across that way. Chuck yeah, is the one like, who wrote, he wrote Fight Club, correct?
1: Yep. He wrote Fight Club, uh, Choke. Yep. One of the ones that I really, really enjoyed that he wrote um, that I read recently, it was called Haunted, where it's like these people try to, under the guise of like having a writer's retreat, they basically try to one up each other with traumatic stories. It's wild. Okay. okay. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. It's it's uh, it's worth a read for sure. So it's very to- uncomfortable at times, but it's worth a read.
0: Yeah, going back to some of the stuff you were talking about earlier, one of the things you had mentioned was Lovecraft and and his blatant racism uh there's a large debate going on and i'm curious to see if you have any opinion on it but are you allowed to separate an artist from whatever shitty things they may or may not do like for example and i haven't seen it yet but i believe the the uh there's a documentary out about uh who is it woody allen i think mm-hmm. um about some of those oh you yeah. know situations if you will i'll just leave it at that cuz i haven't seen the whole thing But there's a lot of people who want to, you know, whether I mean whatever you want to call it, cancel or get rid of an Mm -hmm. artist's work based on maybe some of the horrible things that they've done. Are you allowed to separate an artist from themselves at times? I feel
1: like it's a, a case by case basis. And I know that's not like a satisfactory answer, but one of the things that I talk about a lot or I think about a lot with my friends and just in life in general is that I think we... For whatever reason, I don't know if it's just our monkey brains, but we, especially in groups, tend to think in black and white and just avoid at all costs any kind of nuance. So I think you kind of have to evaluate things, especially that separating the art from the artist on a case-by-case basis. Like if somebody is using their art essentially as a guise or as a vehicle for their predatory or abusive like behavior i think that would definitely be a case where you like you can't really separate the two things like i don't know i don't know i mean i don't know enough about any particular person's case to speak on anyone specifically but like uh, the first thing that pops in my head is like harvey weinstein like using your platform and like your creative i don't know power or whatever basically to manipulate and abuse people i feel like you gotta you get rid of that dude wholesale but then at the same time like i i still watch quentin tarantino movies so it's hard to like it's hard to 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 do that i think case by case is the best way that i've found to approach it i mean lovecraft like one of the things that i i didn't know this until recently and it makes total sense all of his stuff is in the public domain so that's why you find like 75 different editions of his story somewhere, but you also that also means you can reinterpret and you can take his stuff and rewrite it however you see fit. So if you wanted to rewrite or re-release versions of his things without the blatant racism because it doesn't it's not like it's integral to the to the story. Like you can't I feel like you couldn't take Huck Finn and pull the racism out of Huck Finn and have it be the same story that it was like, have the same impact that it had. Right. But you can definitely take the racism out of Lovecraft and the cosmic horror is still there. Yeah. So that's a good I, point. I think like a lot of it, again, it just has to do with nuance and shades of gray. Like, uh, I read Lolita by Vladimir nabokov Novo- Novikov, Novikov. That story would never get published today not in a million years. I don't know if you're familiar at all. It is like, I don't know how the hell this dude wrote it because it's basically a story of a pedophile. The main character is a pedophile and it's all about him and what he does. And I'm like, how do you, I, I mean, I've abandoned stories because I'm, I hate the main character. Like, how would you write something over the guy, this deplorable mm-hmm. and it's so well-written at times. Like you forget, you're know, like, wait a minute, this guy's a child muster. Why the fuck am I still interested in his story? So I don't know, like to see, it's a, it's a weird, it's weird. I hate, I don't like talking about Lolita that much just because it's hard not to fall into the trap of, of uh, it, again, I guess separating even the art of that story from the deplorable main character. Like it's an yeah. incredibly well-written book but it's about a pedophile. So right,
0: right. That's... I don't know, but I, I feel
1: like you need, you need to have that realism. I think in, in art, I think that stuff needs to be there. You can't just wholesale get rid of it because it makes people uncomfortable. I mean, I'm totally fine with, I, I get it. You need to be compassionate about people's trauma. And I understand the purpose of content warnings, like the, uh, second tales from the in-between story, or maybe it was the third one. There's domestic violence in it. And so we put a content warning on the episode for that reason. But uh, just thinking about this the other day, like as an artist or not an artist, God, as a writer, the best stories that I've written start with a grain of truth. They start with some story or some idea that's true. And then you kind of layer on the fiction, like it's a pearl. And, a lot of the truth about life is not pretty. It's not, you know, it's not uh all sunshine and rainbows and sometimes it is traumatic mm-hmm. and I want to be able to explore that stuff, but, you know, still be compassionate about what like people's sensitivities and stuff like that. So it's a really hard line to walk. And again, it just comes down to nuance and being willing to talk to people and like, yeah, to listen to what they have to say and take their feedback. I think, again, it just, you got to have nuance. Too many people or too often. We just default into that black and white mindset and it doesn't allow for any conversation. And then people just remain ignorant of each other because we fall into that us versus them mentality too easily.
0: Yeah. And unfortunately, ignorance then breeds hatred and So Mm -hmm. on and so forth. So I'm a fan of the shades of gray and nuance because yeah, you're right. You have to be able to separate and identify what things mean to you as a person and how you can, you know, whether it's navigate those avenues properly or have those conversations properly is extremely important.
1: Yep. I mean, and as a, you know, if you're, if something that you created, is there's a net negative to it, I guess. Then as a artist or a writer or whatever, you also have to be willing to put something aside. Like uh, you and I were talking earlier about a short story (laughs) that I wrote that at the time I was like, this, this is ideas in my head. And it like the the story came to me essentially wholesale and I wrote it down and I was really proud of it. And then I had a couple people read it. Unfortunately, after it ended up in a small literary magazine and like, yeah, you realize what this story is actually about, right? And I was like, no, and they told me, and I'm like, oh shit, yep, mm. you're right. I didn't even think about like never thought about it in the context that it that people were reading it. I guess until somebody told me, and it's just like, hmm, yeah, maybe I need to take this one. Like it, it just needs to go away.
0: Gotcha, gotcha.
1: So, um, I mean, it's not like. I'm not ashamed that I wrote it, but it's just one of those things it's important to get feedback. Mm-hmm. It's important to to talk to people about your ideas and like the things that you you write and stuff before you release them. And maybe like if I had talked to people beforehand, the story would still exist just in a different form. It's not like I would have abandoned the idea completely, but unfortunately the way as a younger, more inexperienced writer, like the way that the execution was bad. And I'll be a hundred percent honest. It did not, what I was trying to accomplish, the story did not accomplish, I guess is the way to put it. So, you know, yeah. you gotta be willing to, in to quote Stephen King, you gotta be willing to kill your darlings because, yeah. you know, everything you it's, make is not going to be amazing, even if you think it is.
0: <laughs> right. And there's going to be those times where you're going to have a, uh, you know, whatever your art form is, there's going to be those times where you think it's perfect. And, not realize after the fact that ooh, there's there's a couple in there that you know whether it's you know brush strokes that were wrong or words mm-hmm. that were wrong or whatever oh, yeah. that medium is you know mm-hmm. you have to go back and, and acknowledge that. So yeah. I got one last one for you. I've, I've taken up a whole bunch of your time, but one last one. Going I've back to of some of, I appreciate it. <laughs> going back to the the authors you were talking about. Um, specifically you were looking at, you know, certain works of theirs and you're like, I'm never going to be this good. I should quit now. Mm -hmm. How is it? Because I've read a lot of that as well, you know, not just in writing, but in most spaces, this thought of I'm never going to be that good. I should just quit. Mm -hmm. How do you make sure that you take into context comparing yourself to yesterday or last month or last year, as opposed to comparing yourself to, a a million time award winning XYZ fill in the blank of all the accolades type Mm -hmm. of person. How do you avoid that trap?
1: I think it's a matter. uh, I think one of the the best ways to do that is read early works by the people that you admire, because again, it's like the first book that David Mitchell wrote. I think it's called revolution nine or something like that. And it's still better than anything that I've written to date. 100%. Like he deserves all the praise and accolades. But you can see where he's trying to do things and he's not quite successful. That are like stuff that he tries in that book where he's not quite successful. He's really successful with it in Cloud Atlas. So it's just like, if you admire somebody, I say try to read or consume as much of their stuff as you can, especially the early stuff, because you'll see kind of the progression there you'll see like where the brush stroke wasn't right the first time and then later on you can see where it's perfect Mm. like or where you know in, in writing they took a page or a chapter to tell something that later on they're able to convey in a sentence um i think that's important i think it's just always recognizing that growth there is a really really great um quote from ira glass from This American Life. I have a poster of it in my classroom, actually, where he talks about uh, the reason that you get into a creative endeavor is because you have killer taste. And when you first start writing, and he talks about in the context of writing. When you first start writing, you don't like your work because it does not measure up to your taste. And people quit because of that. Like, I'll admit it, that that's the reason I stopped drawing or trying to get better at drawing because the I just was too frustrated that the image I had in my head never ended up on the paper. I remember being 10 years old and I was like, I'm going to draw a tiger. And then I drew the tiger and like, this looks like shit. <laughs> and I'm, you know, <laughs> right. I'm not drawing a tiger again. But he said that it's only through pushing through that, that you're going to get better. And it's understanding that like the reason your work disappoints you is because you have such high standards, you have high expectations for yourself. So you need to just like Pressfield was saying, you need to show up and do the work because it's only through doing the work that you're going to improve. I mean, it's, it's kind of stupid. It's not stupid, but like, I don't know anybody who's ever lifted weights. When you first start lifting weights, you know, if you're going to do squats or dumbbell curls or whatever, you're disappointed for me. I'm always disappointed by the amount of weight I can lift. I'm like Jesus, I'm <laughs> so weak. Like, right. you know, my friend's like, Oh, I can squat, you know, 200 pounds or whatever. And I'm like, I'm squatting the bar and it hurts. And like
0: <laughs> Right. But you, right.
1: everybody starts there. Like, yeah. you know, some people are genetic freaks in nature and they're just naturally strong. I'm not, but that feeling, you know, two or three months down the road when you've put the the squat bar up and you've got, you know, 100, 150 pounds on there and you're able to do it like shit. I remember when I can only squat the bar. And I think like generalizing that feeling to creative endeavors is important too. It's you, mm. you only get better by doing the work. Nobody or not nobody. Some people are naturally gifted whether they're naturally gifted athletes, there are some people who just have abs no matter what they eat, which is, you know, screw those people. Um, (laughs) You know, some people are born naturally gifted in terms of painting or writing or whatever. Mm -hmm. But for most of us, we have to do the work. And again, it's just recognizing that. And as painful as it can be, if you're working on a project or whatever, you're working on writing, you're working on a painting, drawing, whatever, go back and look at the stuff that you used to do because I'm willing to bet it's what you're doing now is better than what you were doing before. And again, it may not hit, may hit your high expectations, but you can still see your own growth and realize that like, you know, 99% of people have to put those reps in Mm -hmm. to get to the point where their work, you know, meets their expectations. So I don't know. It's, it's hard. Like I deal with, uh, I think about, you know, imposter syndrome all the time. I hate telling people I'm a writer. I don't like explaining. Yeah. Cause uh, like the next question always is, well, what do you write? Like, what kind of stories do you write? And like, yeah. Uh, well, I wrote one about a guy who only thinks about soup and feet and like, <laughs> <laughs> right. And right. then they just kind of like, okay, I'm sorry. I asked this question. Please don't ever talk to me again. Like, but it's, it's funny. I promise you should read it. It's good. There's a good payoff. It's there. It's there. (laughs) Hang in. I promise. That's hilarious. I I, I think it's sorry. I think it's important to have those role models in your, in your creative life. But I think it's also important again, to remember like, you're on your own path. Like it, it could take you less time than somebody. It could take you more time, but as long as you, keep putting in the time and the effort you're going to get there
0: Mm -hmm. well it's interesting because you're talking about too like your piece of advice it sounds like one of the stronger ones that i'm getting out of this is look at or read people's early work because if you can also identify the improvements that they've made you're Mm -hmm. more likely to be able to go back and look at your stuff and say oh i see where my improvement is i see where that path has been you know, started, I see where I came from and being able to identify those gaps is extremely Mm -hmm. important because then I feel like you have the confidence to keep identifying the things you have to work on. And that's the key to that improvement that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, now you're not bashing your head against the table every day. Now you're saying, Oh, this, I go this way. Yep. Right. Because you, that's where you came from and now you've got a better idea of where you want to go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, sometimes it's hard to remember that there are definitely days where it's just like, I'm never, I'm garbage. I'm never going to be good at this. Why am I like, I should just quit now. But then, you know, the ideas keep coming. That's the, that's the thing about, I I feel like for me, at least I can't speak to anybody else, but even on the days that I don't write, if I'm not writing, or if I'm like, like I suck that the ideas don't go away. Like I still have, hey, this is an interesting thought or somebody tells me a story and it's like, oh shit, I have to like, and it sparks an idea in my mind. I have to write a story about that. Like a story I'm working on right now came out of uh, my my friend Chuck. He lives in a, a retirement community and like three or four months ago, one of his neighbors came and talked to him and was like, are you harboring Georgians in your apartment? We know you have more people in your apartment than you're supposed to. And he was like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, first of all, are you talking about people from Georgia, the country? You're talking about people from Georgia, the state? Like, what the hell? Where is this even coming from? And the person was like, I know you have people in your apartment. He was like, "Uh, yeah, my wife and myself and my son. Like, get the hell out of here. But in my weird brain that start like sparked this idea about a mathematician, so like Sort of a mathematician alchemist, I guess is the best way to put it, who figures out a way to create a pocket dimension. And he creates a pocket dimension in his shitty little apartment in Prague. And then he ends up basically he harbors Jews in his pocket dimension to save them from the Nazis. But that came out of this story of my friend telling me that somebody was accusing him of keeping Georgians in his apartment. Like, right. So even if I didn't want to write that day, I'm like, shit, that's a cool idea. Like, I want to explore this. So I don't know. I, it, the Like I said, it, even on those days, I'm not motivated. If I get a sentence down or I get a thought down, I can come back to it later
0: yeah.
1: because they just don't go away. I guess that's just how my brain works. Like, maybe I should stop letting my intrusive thoughts become stories. But it's been too much fun so far to, you know, stop doing that.
0: Well, it sounds like you've built a good habit out of it too. You know what I mean. So even if you wanted to stop, that habit's mm-hmm. already been cemented in your mind. So it's not going to stop.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well,
0: man, I appreciate all the time you've given me. It's been a, a super awesome conversation. I look forward to hearing more of the podcasts on on tomorrow, tomorrow. Isle uh, mm-hmm. and 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 your work coming out, especially the postcard ones. I really like those. Those are pretty cool. Well, yeah.
1: Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, shoot me your address at some point. Maybe you'll get a. Uh card in the mail
0: for sure for sure again I appreciate the time really
1: oh yeah thanks.